when, when we study Tulsa, we, we're going to see all this history coming together. And the Choctaw, Chickasaw Creek, Cherokee, and Seminole Indians, uh, all on African slaves. And that we're going to see this leading to the uh, Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866. We'll see this leading to a Sarah Rector, who in the early 1900s was known as the richest Afro-American girl in the country. By about 1913, she's a, uh, she's a millionaire because um, her family were uh, owned by Creek Indians, previously owned by Creek Indians. And they're going to be become part of the Creek Indian Nation after the Civil War ends. And they're going to be allotted land in what's known as the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866. And oil is going to be discovered on her land and she's going to become a multimillionaire. OK, because, see, one of the things that made Tulsa so prosperous is that oil was discovered in the early 1900s. And this is one of the reasons why so many people were uh, going in, uh, you know, uh, migrating into uh, Tulsa. Migrating in Oklahoma. One, two, going into Tulsa. All right. Uh, so let's continue here. And uh, those watching on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, the African History Network, and my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I M H O T E P. Be sure to share this information on your social media platforms uh, as well. So once again, uh, on today's show, we're, we're going to deal with right now. We're talking about a uh, reparations bill regarding the Tulsa race massacre was introduced. Uh, by Representative Hank Johnson, Democrat from uh, Georgia. He introduced this May 21st, 2021. This was two days after, uh, we know this was two days after uh, you had the hearing in uh, the House Judiciary Subcommittee uh, dealing with the, the Tulsa race massacre. Uh, that was on um, Wednesday, May 19th, okay? Wednesday, May 19th. All right. So this bill would provide uh, this act would provide survivors and descendants of the Tulsa race massacre access to the courts to seek restitution for one of the worst uh, episodes of racial violence in uh, U.S. history. Uh, I'm going to we're going to turn on the screen share here. This is um, uh, this article is from The Washington Post. From May 21st, 2021, written by Deneen L. Brown for um, for the Washington Post. OK, a reparations bill for Tulsa race massacre survivors introduced uh, in Congress. So let me turn this on here. Just give me a minute. Call the numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call in number if you have a quick question or comment. Okay, bear with me. We're running into some technical uh, difficulties. I'm having problems with this brand new Dell laptop that I just got in January, and I'm gonna have to take it in and get a service tomorrow because um, it wouldn't come on for 20 minutes. Uh, all right, so we have that now. The uh, representative Hank Johnson, and we're gonna scroll down to this here. Let me show you this. Uh, Representative Hank Johnson said that their lives, their land and their liberty were stolen from them. OK, their lives, their land and their liberty was stolen from them. 
And let me see where where is the article. Hold on just a second here. Okay, here we go. Um, let's go down here. Okay, uh, Representative Hank Johnson, Democrat of Georgia, said their lives, their land, and their liberty were stolen from them. And then uh, these victims were erased uh, from our national history. And then these victims were erased from our national history. This massacre undoubtedly had a devastating toll on the black community in Tulsa, but creating a cause of action to recover compensation for the wrongs uh, is just one step in our path towards healing. But creating a cause, a cause of action to recover compensation for these wrongs is just one step in our path towards healing. Now, what's happened in the past is that when they uh, tried to seek redress in the courts and uh, attorney uh, Demario Solomon Simmons talked about this also during the hearing on May 19th. Uh, when they try to seek redress in the courts, they're told time and time again that it's uh, past the statute of uh, limitations. OK, it was it was too long ago. All right. Just, you know, just suck it up, get over it, walk it off. It, it was too long ago. Uh, you know, you, you can't seek redress. OK, in the courts. So this bill now I want people to pay attention to this. Right. Which which Republicans are are proposing bills to help the survivors of the Tulsa race massacre uh, beyond something that is like honoring them beyond something that's cosmetic or symbolic? I mean, which Republicans are, are advocating helping them get some type of reparations? Let me know. Now, in Tulsa, Representative Hank Johnson said there's substantial evidence that shows government officials, including the police and the National Guard, were complicit, were complicit in the massacre 100 years ago. There's substantial evidence that shows that uh, government officials, including the police and the National Guard, were complicit in the massacre 100 years ago. So this this is why it's so important for us to understand history. Now, we're going to deal with this story that's coming out of Oklahoma. Because uh, all these stories tying to Oklahoma, we're going to deal with today. Um, also in Oklahoma, we know that, you know, we've talked about here on this show how Governor Kevin Stitt, Republican from Oklahoma, has recently uh, signed into law a bill uh, that will ban uh, the teaching of critical race theory and really the teaching of uh, systemic racism, things like this in Tulsa. So now you have teachers. Uh, who uh, in, in Oklahoma, I'm sorry, um, the ban is in Oklahoma, not just Tulsa, in Oklahoma. Now you have teachers in Oklahoma who fear uh, they can be fired from their jobs because of this ban on teaching about systemic racism and things like this. There's no effort to teach about uh, critical race theory in schools, okay? That's just, uh, once again, this is, this is just uh, Republicans trying to find a wedge issue uh, to galvanize support around things like this, because they're not proposing meaningful, uh, they're not supposing, they're not proposing meaningful bills that benefit everyday Americans in general. 
If anything, they're blocking those bills. If anything, they're blocking that legislation. So uh, once again, the call-in number is 313-778-7600. Here's the call-in number if you have a quick question or comment, okay? And uh, be sure to, if you'd like to sign up for information as well, be sure to register for the online course that I teach on uh, Saturdays, uh, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Because we deal with thousands of years of history, and we deal with what led up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. Uh, we'll post a link here. It's a nine-week online course that I teach, and uh, we do with thousands of years of history. I just sent you an email, Shakita. Pull up clip one and cue that up for me, please. We're going to go to clip one here in just a minute. Um, I want you to uh, hear some of the testimony again uh, from May 19th, 2021, from uh, Viola Fletcher, who's the uh, oldest living survivor of the uh, Tulsa race massacre also, okay? But uh, while we get that uh, clip queued up as well, uh, when you go to our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and you scroll down, you see the information for the radio show and the times we're on. Click here to listen to uh, podcasts, audio podcasts of the shows. Uh, you go right here, you click on register here. Now, ne next class is Saturday, May 29th. Click on register here. It takes you to the next page. Click right here to enroll. Uh, because we're halfway through the class, the price has been, the cost has been reduced to $60. And as soon as you register, you can watch uh, last uh, week's class that we did with Sister Nubia Wardford, the archaeologist. Okay. And remember all the sessions, we do the class live, but all the sessions are recorded. So you can go back and watch it over and over again as well. All right. Uh, let's go back to this article here. And uh, I want to go to this clip here in just a minute. Uh, let's go back to this here. Okay, so uh, Representative Hank Johnson of uh, Georgia said that uh, in Tulsa, there's substantial uh, evidence that shows government officials, including the police and the National Guard, were complicit in the uh, Tulsa race massacre 100 years ago this month. Now, survivors have sought reparations through uh, the courts before, but judges ruled that the statute of limitations for damages had expired. Despite the fact, despite the fact that some survivors filed claims in June 1921, only days after the massacre ended. OK, they were denied the claims in June 1921 and they've been denied the claims since then. Not only that, the, the city council uh, in Tulsa and even the white newspapers in Tulsa blamed the African-Americans for the massacre. It said it was it was said it was their fault. Now, in 2005, the U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear a reparations case appeal. Now, uh, uh, Drazen Heath, author of the Human Rights Watch report, the case for reparations in Tulsa, Oklahoma, noted that victims and descendants of the 1923 Rosewood Massacre, which we've talked about before, and I've done the presentation on the Rosewood Massacre in Rosewood, Florida, those descendants received reparations. And, and that effort was led by um, uh, Arnett, Ar Arnett uh, Doctor. Arnett doctor, okay, 
And he was a little boy at the time in 1923. If you saw the movie Rosewood with uh, directed by the late John Singleton and with um, Ving Rhames, okay, and uh, Elise Neal, if you saw um, the uh, movie Rosewood, Arnett Doctor is a little boy in there, okay? And uh, there's a scene where, you know, the, the massacre is taking place and everything, and they're on the run. And uh, uh, Ving Rhames' character, of who, who, whose name was Man. Now, Ving Rhames' character was a fictitious character. He didn't exist. He was probably a composite character, which is probably a comp uh, compilation of actions of, like, real people. And they were just uh, compiled into one fictitious character. He says, Arnett, he said, front and center. He says, you're, you're my lieutenant, okay? So Arnett Doctor, years later, was uh, led the effort to seek some type of uh, uh, reparations for the survivors of the Rosewood Massacre of 1923. All right. So, uh, when you, uh, you know, we'll probably re-air the uh, presentation I did dealing with Rosewood because what really happened is a lot different than what's depicted in the movie. Okay. All right. So, uh, Dresden Heath, author of the Human Rights Watch Report, the case for reparations in Tulsa, Oklahoma, noted that victims and descendants of the 1923 uh, uh, Rosewood massacre in Florida received reparations. Also, victims and descendants of forced sterilization uh, of a forced sterilization program in North Carolina also received reparations. So the one in North Carolina we've talked about here on this show a number of times. OK. Um, and that was part of the eugenics movement. OK, that was part of the eugenics movement. There were about 31 state-sponsored um, uh, forced sterilization programs uh, across the country. It's about 31 states from about the, like the late 1920s going into the 1970s. North Carolina was one of them. Now, North Carolina was the first state to uh, publicly acknowledge the uh, their state-sponsored eugenics program, their state-sponsored sterilization program, and they and they paid. Um, uh, reparations to their, their survivors. I think they got something like $50,000 each. Elaine Riddick, uh, who's in the documentary, My Alpha 21, I've talked to Elaine Riddick through um, uh, Facebook, because we're Facebook friends. Um, she was, she's one of the survivors, okay? And she was interviewed by Brian Williams on uh, NBC News a few years ago, also dealing with this, and, and she's uh, uh, dealing with the a sterilization program in, in uh, North Carolina. All right. So now uh, Dresden Heath said legislatively, I'm uh, sorry, quote, legislative remedy is incredibly important post any serious or gross human rights violations, such as the Tulsa race massacre. Uh, attorney Demario Simmons, Demario Solomon Simmons, who's in the, a uh, piece you'll see from the History Channel on May 30th, I think it is, dealing with the Tulsa Race Massacre. He's the lead attorney in the lawsuit uh, filed in 2020. He also testified uh, on Wednesday, May 19th, uh, in the House of Representatives, the House Judiciary Subcommittee, uh, dealing with the Tulsa Race Massacre. And uh, he's the lead attorney in the lawsuit filed in 2020 by Tulsa survivors. He noted that Congress paid reparations 
to Japanese internment camp survivors and 911 survivors, not 911 survivors. He said it's important for Congress, the United States of the United States of America, to say what happened to these people in Greenwood was wrong. It's important for Congress, the United States of America, to say what happened to these people in Greenwood was wrong. He's the executive director of the Justice for Greenwood Foundation. He said, we have power to remedy it. We should remedy it. We must have accountability for what happened in Greenwood. We must have accountability for what happened in Greenwood. Now, the reason why this hearing took place is because Democrats are in control of the House of Representatives. Because Republicans are not going to have a hearing like this. That mean, and when you deal with it, we talked, we've been talking about the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, right? 212 Republicans in the House of Representatives voted against the George Floyd Justice and, Justice and Policing Act, March 3rd, 2021. No Republicans voted for that bill. No Republicans voted for the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. You know, we, we just commemorated the one year anniversary. We talked about this on yesterday's show. After all the crocodile tears, they cried when George Floyd was killed and all this. Republicans cried. Nobody, no Republicans voted for the bill in the House of Representatives. Um, I want to go to this clip. I want to go to clip one here, Shakita. Uh, this is dealing with testimony from May 19th, 2021. Survivors of survivors of Tulsa uh, massacre testify in House committee. Let's go to uh, clip one, please. Jay, on the 1921 Tulsa race massacre ahead of the 100 year anniversary later this month in the early 1900s. Tulsa's African-American district of Greenwood was known as Black Wall Street with its own luxury shops, restaurants, movie theaters, a library, hospital, even its own bus and taxi service. Until the evening of May 31st, 1921, when a white mob descended on Greenwood, shooting black people indiscriminately and burning more than 1,200 homes, hundreds of businesses, along with churches and schools. Some survivors saw airplanes dropping turpentine bombs on houses. So when the massacre ended 48 hours later on June 1st, 1921, according to witness accounts, hundreds of survivors were rounded up at gunpoint and forced to march to camps where they were held for weeks. Survivors also recounted seeing black bodies dumped into the Arkansas River and into mass graves. Well, today, two of the last living survivors of that massacre flew to Washington to share their stories and demand justice. Mr. Hughes Van Ellis, known as Uncle Red, is 100 years old, and his sister, Ms. Viola Fletcher, or Mother Fletcher as she's known, is 107 years old. Listen to what she experienced during one of the darkest moments in U.S. history. I will never forget the violence of the white mob when we left our home. I still see black men seeing being shot, black bodies lying in the street. I still smell smoke and see fire. I still see black businesses being burned. I still hear airplanes flying overhead. I hear the screams. I have lived through the massacre every day. Our country may forget this history, but I cannot. I will not. And other survivors do not. And our descendants do not. Both were gracious enough to stop for a minute to talk with me on their way to the White House, they said, for a meeting with Vice President Harris. It's important to be 
to be here in Washington today and share your story. You know, we really want to desk us all of the bear accident. <laughs> a long time ago, thank you for now that something has been done about it. So that's why we're here trying to make sure we get that support. Ms. Fletcher says as a result of the massacre, she never finished school beyond the fourth grade, never made much money, and struggles to support herself. The survivors are part of a reparations lawsuit filed last year, which argues that Oklahoma and Tulsa are responsible for what happened during that massacre, which historians believe left as many as 300 black people dead, 10,000 homeless, and the community of Greenwood destroyed. Mr. Van Ellis, who is a World War II veteran, told lawmakers today, quote, Please do not let me leave this earth without justice. Blessings to the both of them. Okay. Pause it right there. Okay. So uh, that is a testimony from uh, May 19th, 2021. That's a clip from uh, Katie Turr, Katie Turr's show on uh, MSNBC. Uh, that was um, Jeff Bennett sitting in for Katie Turr. The name of that clip is Survivors of the 1921 Tulsa massacre testified before House Committee. That's from May 19th, 2021 at MSNBC.com. Okay, very quickly here, uh, I want to move to uh, this next story. We'll talk some more about Tulsa on uh, tomorrow's show. There was a, a big article here from the uh, History.com, History.com, uh, official website of the History Channel, dealing with nine entrepreneurs who helped build Tulsa's Black Wall Street, nine entrepreneurs who helped build uh, Tulsa's Black Wall Street. OK, and uh, we're going to pull this up. So. Uh, they talk about uh, that Tulsa consisted of 35 block North, North Tulsa, where uh, the Greenwood District was, uh, where Black Wall Street was. It consisted of 35 blocks of thriving community. African-Americans had migrated um, had migrated uh, to Tulsa, pulling their resources and building wealth to create successful businesses amid Jim, Jim Crow discrimination. Now, it's important also to note that a lot of the early landowners in Tulsa got their land from the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866, okay? And also, um, uh, oil was discovered in Tulsa as well. So uh, you're going to have a lot of us getting rich in the oil industry one way or another. Uh, th this is an article, Nine Entrepreneurs Who Helped help Build Tulsa's uh, Black Wall Street. All right, now, um, before the Greenwood District was established, uh, African Americans came to Tulsa in the mid-19th century as slaves of the five civilized tribes and Native Americans that we talked about this a few minutes ago, the Choctaw, Chickasaw Creek, Cherokee, and Seminole Indians. Um, and they were forced from their lands in the southeastern part of the United States because of the Indian Removal Act of 1830. Um, it was uh, Lewis Cass. Lewis Cass was uh, Andrew Jackson's um, Secretary of State as well, and Lewis Cass helped to uh, carry out the, um, in the he, he was, um, well, at one point Secretary of War also, but uh, Secretary of War, Secretary of State. Um, he helped carry out the Indian Removal Act of 1830 also, okay? Uh, 
Louis, Louis Cass, who Cass Technical High School is named after, helped participate in the genocide of African-American people. And we name, and we still have this white supremacist name on Cass Technical High School. That's another show. You can have me as a guest on that show if you want to. We can have that discussion. But people who respect themselves don't name their institutions after people who tried to kill them and participated in that genocide. That's not what people who have common sense do. People who understand their history and honor their ancestors name their institutions after ancestors who fought for their liberation, not for people who fought to keep them enslaved and who waged genocide against them. That's not logical. Now, those watching on Facebook and YouTube, uh, keep watching. Uh, we're going to keep broadcasting for a few more minutes. We're out of time here on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation the Future Radio. We'll be back tomorrow. Remember, right now, let's correct your own behavior. It's not over till we win. Wakanda forever. We'll talk to you next time. Peace. All right, stand by. And I'm a graduate of Cass Technical High School, but I, I'm also a historian. So we should have changed Cass Tech's name a long time ago. This doesn't make any sense. All right, let's continue here. So uh, now Tulsa was, um, the word Tulsa is a Creek Indian word. Tulsa comes from the Creek Indian word Talasi. That area was originally called Talasi. Then the name was changed to Tulsa, okay? And then also for those that uh, tuned in uh, after we started at, at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, we have the two and a half hour lecture I've done dealing with the history of Black Wall Street. This is back in 2014. Uh, Black Wall Street from destruction to the resurrection of economic empowerment. So we, I did with a lot of the history of Oklahoma, Tulsa, North Tulsa. I deal with a timeline of history leading up to the attack in 1921. Uh, but also deal with the fact that we rebuilt Black Wall Street after the Tulsa massacre as well, after the race riot, after the race massacre. We rebuilt it with our own money because, um, as, as we talked about here today, we couldn't get any. Um, we didn't. The insurance companies did not pay on any of our insurance claims. OK, the insurance companies did not pay out on any of our insurance claims. So um, we rebuilt it with our own dollars. And this is what a lot of people uh, don't know. They focus in on the destruction and the airplanes and the turpentine bombs and uh, things like this. They focus in on the destruction, but we don't focus in on the resurrection. Okay, that's that's to me, having really studied the history of it. And I read Hannibal B. Johnson's book on uh, Tulsa as well. This one right here, Black Wall Street from Riot to Renaissance in Tulsa's Historic Greenwood District was probably the best book dealing with the Tulsa Race Massacre. OK, it's probably the best book dealing with the Tulsa Race Massacre. Um, we don't focus in on the resurrection part. We just focus in on the destruction part. All right. OK, let's continue. So. Uh. So you had the Choctaw, Chickasaw Creek, Cherokee, and Seminole Indians. Let me go back to this.
who were forced from their land in the southeastern part of the United States, and uh, and they resettled in Oklahoma. When they go into Oklahoma, Oklahoma is a territory. It's not a state in the Union yet. It becomes a state in the Union in uh, 1907, okay? So uh, this is in the 1830s, and it's a territory. Now, after the Civil War, under the terms of under the terms of the treaties of 1866, and this deals with the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866, that you hear one of my teachers, Dr. Claude Anderson, talk about, and you hear me talk about the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866. That's related to the treaties of 1866. These African-Americans were emancipated with some integrating into the tribes, a relationship that would later provide freedmen with their own land, provide freedmen with their own land, okay? The relative wealth of some uh, black folks in Oklahoma comes in part through their connection to the tribes and their land ownership. See, this is something I've been talking about. People think they just, they were able to just build Tulsa because they had segregation. No, you, you have to look at the history before that. A lot of the early landowners got land because of the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866. Quote, the relative wealth of some black folks in Oklahoma comes in part from their connection to the tribes and their land ownership, says Hannibal B. Johnson, historian and author of the book Black Wall Street 100, an American city grapples with its historical racial trauma. He's also the author of the book I just showed you, um, which is probably one of the best books dealing with the history of Black Wall Street. Black Wall Street from Riot to Renaissance in Tulsa's Historic Greenwood District by Hannibal B. Johnson. Now, the Dawes Allotment Act of 1887 authorized the uh, U.S. government to divide tribal territories into allotments for individual Native Americans, which included African-American members. As word spread that Indian territory was a safe place for African-Americans to settle between 1865 and 1920, more than 50 black townships were founded in Oklahoma. Oklahoma was probably the city that had the most number of like um, blacks, um, black settlements, uh, black, you know, cities founded by African-Americans. That was probably the, the, that was probably the state with the most number of uh, cities. So when we look at the architects of Greenwood, you have uh, O.W. Gurley, who, who is uh, really, really famous, probably one of the most famous um, entrepreneurs one of the early, early pioneers in Greenwood. Um, you have a wealthy African-American landowner named O.W. Gurley, who commonly refer, who was commonly referred to as the founder of Greenwood. Uh, he was born to freed slaves in Alabama. O.W. Gurley was raised in Arkansas and moved to Oklahoma during the Oklahoma land rush of 1889. Now, uh, after running a general store in uh, Perry, Oklahoma, O.W. Gurley, who was a serial entrepreneur, moved to oil-rich Tulsa and reportedly purchased 40 acres of land on the north side of the city, 
with the vision of selling residential and commercial plots to African-Americans. O.W. Gurley wasted no time opening a rooming house, purchasing buildings and providing loans to help other uh, African-Americans start their own businesses. Uh, another, another entrepreneur shared O.W. Gurley's uh, dream of Greenwood becoming a self-reliant enclave a self-reliant enclave uh, for black Tulsans. Um, you have J.B. Stratford, okay? You have J.B. Stratford, son of former, some of a son of a former enslaved uh, man who was a lawyer from Kentucky who owned pool halls, shoeshine parlors, and uh, boarding houses before moving to uh, Tulsa around 1899. So J.B. Stratford, is uh, a, another one of these famous uh is he's another one of these famous uh well-known entrepreneurs in uh Tulsa also okay JB Stratford All right so yeah JB Stratford Stratford who was a son of a former enslaved man and he moved to um Tulsa around 1899 with the goal of creating wealth in the Indian Territory. Now, J.B. Stratford invested in real estate, uh, real estate properties and built the Stratford Hotel on Greenwood Avenue, a luxury establishment that was considered the largest African-American owned hotel in the country with 54 guest suites, a pool hall, saloon and a dining room. OK, uh, History Channel is uh, they have their special airing uh, Sunday, May 30th, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Tulsa burning the 1921 race massacre. All right. Uh, we'll talk some more about this uh, uh, on tomorrow's show. OK, nine entrepreneurs who helped build Tulsa's uh, Black Wall Street. It, it, now, I want to go to this last story and uh, we'll probably deal with this some more uh, on Thursday's show. It, it, there was a story here from, uh, I saw Craig Melvin did a story dealing with this, and there's an article from May 25th from uh, NBC News. Uh, teachers worry Oklahoma's ban on systemic racism lessons could put jobs at risk. Okay, I don't know how many people saw this, and it was, uh, this ties into the uh, law that Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt signed into law recently that bans the teaching of critical race theory and uh, systemic racism, teaching about systemic racism, things like this. OK, you have uh, a lot of white people who do not want the correct history taught. OK, they don't want the real history taught of how the wealth was created. All right. This is, this is what this boils down to because then that gives, uh, one is going to, it causes a lot of them, some of it causes some of them to feel guilty. One, two, that, uh, gives more evidence and more of a foundation to argue for reparations as well. They don't want to have that conversation. So, 
if we look, I'm pulling this up here. All right. So it talks about uh, a teacher named Anthony Crawford. Anthony Crawford worries his job may be in jeopardy. Uh, for two years, he taught English and creative writing. For two years, he taught English and creative writing um, at Millwood High School in Oklahoma City. And since the murder of George Floyd, he he's held intense debates about race and history with his students. But a new state law passed in early May in Oklahoma is set to ban the teaching of certain topics pertaining to systemic racism and implicit bias. Okay. Why would you want to ban these teachings about systemic racism and implicit bias? Now it's important to understand this is when you, when we teach this history in schools, when teachers teach this history, this is not designed to try to make white children feel guilty or anything like that. This is the, the history is not taught to try to make, uh, anybody feel guilty. You teach the history to understand the past because understanding the past helps control the trajectory of the future. You teach the history so you don't make the same mistakes throughout history to try to correct the wrongdoings that took place. It's not about, it's not about blaming somebody. Okay. It's about understanding the past because those policies of the past impact and influence what's taking place today to correct these wrongs you have to understand what actually happened so it's not about trying to you know make white children feel bad or anything like this it's not about trying to make african-american children feel inferior it's not about trying to make white children feel superior or the other way around it's none of that uh let me go back to this here so the new state law passed in early May, signed in law by Governor Kevin Stitt, is set to ban the teaching of certain topics pertaining to systemic racism and implicit bias. The law does not lay out clear consequences for violating it, but uh, Anthony Crawford and several of his colleagues said they expect the legislation will have a chilling effect on teachers. Anthony Crawford, who's 31 years old and African-American, said it has to uh, it, it has to because now for teachers, you don't want to lose a job. I don't want to talk about this knowing that it could be possibly a lawsuit or a possible way for me to lose my job. Now, Oklahoma's new law targets critical race theory, a study of the legacy of racism and its history and legal and social systems. And critical race theory deals with understanding racism as a social construct as opposed to something that's biological. Okay, racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race. And critical race theory deals with understanding how um, racism influences laws and how laws are used to oppress people, especially African-Americans. Now, critical race theory was developed by African-American scholars more than four decades ago to provide a framework under uh, the, to provide a framework for understanding how laws 
and practices have perpetuated inequality. This is why a lot of white people, especially Republicans, don't want this talk, because now you're unraveling. Now you're exposing the magic trick. Now you're exposing how the magician does the magic trick. OK, now you're pulling the curtain. Um, now you're pulling the curtain uh, back, exposing that the wizard in the Wizard of Oz is a dwarf. You remember the Wizard of Oz, the original Wizard of Oz and. Um, the wizard was manipulating technology. To make it make it himself appear much larger than he was and more powerful than he was and more threatening than he was. You remember he was, he was manipulating technology and it was his big face with this deep voice talking. And then Toto, the little dog pulls back the curtain and exposes a dwarf manipulating technology giving a false impression, creating a false reality to then influence how people perceive the wizard. Power is the ability to define and shape reality and have other people accept your definition of reality as if it were their own. So what happens is when we study this history, we start exposing the wizard. We start exposing the tricks of the magician. And once you learn the tricks of the mag magician or the wizard, then they can't fool you with those tricks anymore. This is why you have people fighting this because they don't want, they want to keep being able to use the tricks. It will, or some people could make the argument they want to keep turning tricks, but that's another conversation. It was developed by black scholars more than four decades ago to provide a framework for understanding how laws and practices have perpetuated inequality. They're exposing the tricks. They're exposing the magician. But a growing chorus of conservatives use the phrase critical race theory to describe a range of diversity and inclusion training and teachings about about the pervasiveness of racism that they argue are divisive and likely to make students particularly those who are white feel guilt and anguish now one could make the argument that some of these white parents don't want their children to find out how evil some of their ancestors were. Or maybe some of their parents for that matter. And and what and 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 what their ancestors and in some cases their parents did for them to get what they have. But this is not designed to try to make white children feel guilty or anything like this. But some white children may feel embarrassed about what their ancestors and maybe some of their family members have done when they when when you start pulling the curtain back on the wizard when you start pulling the curtain back on the wizard okay so some white children who have african-american friends 
who have Latino friends, you know, may look at their parents differently or their grandparents or great grandparents, especially when they have heard their relatives maybe say derogatory things about African-Americans or non-white people. When, when, when white children start learning this history, it may cause them to look negatively at their, some of their own family members or some of their ancestors, especially if they find out some of their ancestors were slave owners. Let's continue. But a growing chorus of conservatives use the phrase critical race theory to describe a range of diversity and inclusion training and teachings about the pervasiveness of racism that they argue are divisive and likely to make students, particularly those who are white, feel guilt and anguish. Now, what I would ask the question is, feel guilty about what? It'll make white children feel guilty about what? Representative Kevin West, a Republican and one of the authors of, authors of Oklahoma's legislation, did not put the words, quote unquote, critical race theory in the bill. But he acknowledges that it, it uh, he acknowledges that is what's in his crosshairs is what's in its crosshairs. Critical race theory, he acknowledges that critical race theory is what's in its crosshairs, the bill, the, the bill that he uh, authored or co-authored. He said, quote, it's the overall concept, he said. Critical race theory is more like just an umbrella statement. Well, you don't understand what critical race theory is. Now, fights over how to talk about racism in schools has boiled over in communities from Texas to Utah and California. Oklahoma is one of at least a dozen states that have introduced measures to ban or limit teaching about systemic racism, bias, and privilege in schools. Well, if you want to ban or limit how systemic racism, what systemic racism is what? It, first, racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race. This is for the purpose. This comes out of the ideology of European white supremacy for the purpose of preserving genetic white survival. If you don't want to talk about systemic racism and how laws and policies are used to perpetuate systemic racism, then basically what you're saying is you just want to keep things the way they are. That's basically what you're saying. You don't want equity. You want to keep things way the, the way they are. You're dealing with a maldistribution of wealth, power, resources into the hands of Europeans. So you're basically saying you just want to keep it like that. And then also, really what they're saying tacitly is they want black people to suffer in silence. They don't want to teach how things came to be, and they just want black people to suffer in silence. This is what they're really saying. Oklahoma, where Tulsa is, is one of at least a dozen states that have introduced measures to ban or limit teaching about systemic racism, bias, and privilege in schools. I want to go to this clip here from, um, do we have it queued up? Yeah. I want to go to this clip here. This is uh, from Craig Melvin on MSNBC. Teachers 
fear for their jobs after Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt bans teaching systemic racism in schools. Okay, uh, let's go to this clip here. Yeah, Hilton reports from Oklahoma where some teachers worry they may lose their jobs because of a new bill. Anthony Crawford worries he could lose his job. He teaches creative writing at Millwood High in Oklahoma City, where a new state law is set to ban certain teachings of race, bias, and history. Racism is when you can take all these entities that make up a society and only can be controlled by one ethnic group, right? The law targets critical race theory, a decades-old academic study of the legacy of racism and inequality. But a growing chorus of Republicans use the phrase to describe diversity training and historical teachings they see as divisive. The law bans teaching concepts that lead students to feel guilt or discomfort due to their identity. I said, oh, okay, I didn't know what that was. And then now here we are back in, in May. Now they're talking about a law. I'm like, oh, that was quick. Representative Kevin West was one of the authors of Oklahoma's bill. No teacher shall require or make part of a course the following concepts. An individual by virtue of his or her race or sex bears responsibility for actions committed in the past by other members of the same race or sex. I've certainly never heard a teacher say those things. We can agree or we can disagree on how far this is happening in Oklahoma. Over the last few months, lawmakers in more than a dozen states have advanced measures to ban the teaching of critical race theory. Just one year after the murder of George Floyd sparked mass protests and a reckoning over diversity and inclusion in many American schools. Kimberly Crenshaw, one of the original founders of critical race theory, thinks this is only the beginning. I've been trying to tell people for at least six months that the effort to respond to the reckoning of last summer was going to metastasize into a backlash. I thought, okay, so they found their boogeyman. As these bills pass around the country, what do you think will happen? Before we know it, students of color, as well as white students, are going to have an education that is less robust than we have even right now. Is this law going to change teacher behavior? It has to. Because now, if a teacher don't want to lose their job, it's like, okay, well, I don't want to go there. I don't want to talk about this, knowing that uh, it could be possibly a, a lawsuit or a possible way, a way for me to lose my job. So I know a lot of teachers are going to move a lot differently. Crawford encourages students in his classroom to debate race and history intensely. Hey, I'll imagine a, a class where you, we, they don't talk about racism. How are you going to teach American history without speaking about racism? Because you cannot talk about American history without speaking about racism. You cannot do it. Her whole thing was, hey, we shouldn't teach this in class because one, it makes other certain ethnicities feel bad. That sucks. I'm sorry. That sucks. I felt bad, but I can't feel bad for something I didn't do. It's we're our own person. You can't hate someone because of what their parents did. He says he'll keep talking about America's complicated racial history as he sees fit. Craig, in my conversations with the students that you met right there, they tell me that they're going to keep talking about uncomfortable historical topics about race and racism in America, whether lawmakers in their state approve of it or not. They say that no law could stop them from doing that.
such a such a fascinating conversation, Antonio, on, on so many levels. These new laws, do we know how they might affect the upcoming school year there? So, Craig, this law is going to go into effect in actually just a couple weeks over the summer. So it's going to be in place for this upcoming school year. Already we're seeing teachers and administrators in Oklahoma schools have conversations about this, worry about the materials they might introduce or the conversations they've had or may continue to have in their classrooms. And you have to remember, teachers in public schools, they are not highly paid people. So many of them are concerned. You know, they don't want to potentially be sued or have their careers end up on the line. And so, you know, no matter what ends up happening with this law, many of the teachers feel like there's already been a chilling effect on their speed. Okay. So that is uh, from um, MSNBC, Craig Melvin and Antonia Antonia Hilton. Uh, Name of that clip, teachers fear for their jobs after Oklahoma governor, Kevin Stitt. Republican bans teaching systemic racism in schools. Uh, the the article that I had up here on the screen that clip is uh, in this article, so you can watch it in its entirety. All of this is one of the reasons why this study here from the Southern Poverty Law Center is so important and should be used in every school across the country. Teaching hard history, American slavery. Teaching hard history. American slavery from the Southern Poverty Law Center. Okay, teaching hard history American slavery. Uh, this study deals with how the teaching of the history of slavery in schools all across the country is largely incorrect, and it goes through in 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 one, two, three, four, five. It shows you what is being done to incorrectly teach the history of slavery. Then it gives you numerous recommendations to more correctly teach that history. And they did a survey of uh, 1,000 high school seniors to find out what they know about the history of slavery. And they know very little. These are 12th graders. They did a survey of 1,000 high school seniors, different uh, cities across the country. I think it was something like 23 cities, something like that. Only 8% of high school seniors surveyed could identify slavery as the central cause of the U.S. Civil War. Not 80%, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Only 8% of high school seniors surveyed could identify slavery as the central cause of the Civil War. Two thirds or 68% did not know that it took a constitutional amendment to formally end slavery. It wasn't the Emancipation Proclamation January 1st, 1863. It was the 13th Amendment uh, ratified December 6th, 1865, adopted, adopted December 18th, 1865. All right, so when you go through and, and read this, uh, uh, fewer than one in four students, only 22% of high school senior surveys could correctly identify how provisions in the U.S. Constitution gave slaveholders an advantage, like the Compromise of 1787, the Three-Fifths Compromise of 1787, Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 of the U.S. Constitution, or the fact that uh, the U.S. Constitution uh, laid the foundation for the Fugitive Slave Act of 1793 and the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850. That's Article 4, Section 2 of the U.S. Constitution. Uh, We talked about the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 because that, that was part of that compromise of 1850 that came after 
the Mexican-American War of 1846 to 1848, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo of February 1848, which ended the Mexican-American War, and U.S. is going to uh, uh, get the territory that makes up Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, California, Utah, and Nevada. They get all that from Mexico. Mexico loses about a third of their land with the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. The U.S. buys that land for $15 million, but Mexico didn't want to sell the land in the first place. Okay. And you're going to have uh, the Compromise of 1850, which consists of five bills. One of those bills was the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, which then went further than the Fugitive Slave Act of 1793. And it uh, allowed the authorities, like the sheriffs or what have you, in northern states to deputize white people to help track down runaway slaves who ran away from the South and going to the North and they could track them down, capture them and take them back into the South, even though they were in free territory in the North. This is the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, which was part of that compromise of 1850. And this caused runaway slaves, more of them to have to go into Canada because you weren't safe in the North. Now you had to go in, they had to go into Canada. So in the movie Harriet, uh, the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 is part of that whole um, backdrop and that whole discussion and that whole scenario uh, in the movie Harriet. OK, let's continue here. So. We've got now this. Uh, I want to go back to this one here quickly and then we're going to get out of here because I have a lot of work to do. And uh, this laptop is giving me problems, even though it's a new laptop, I have to take it in and get this serviced. This is getting on my nerves. Um, Kimberly Crenshaw, who's one of the architects of critical race theory, uh, and a professor at a professor of law at UCLA Columbia University. You heard Kimberly Crenshaw in the clip we just played. She sees the laws coming from these Republican states signed in law by Republican governors. This is, a, this is an example of how elections have consequences. She sees these laws as a backlash as a backlash to racial to the racial reckoning uh, of last summer when George Floyd's murder sparked uncomfortable conversations about diversity, inclusion and history in many workplaces, schools and universities. OK, she doubts most of her critics have ever read her work. She said it's like a bad case of telephone. It's a catch-all for everything that people don't want their children to learn. We can basically say white people largely. You do have some black conservatives who are attacking critical race theory. They can't tell you what it is either, okay? Like um, uh, Vernon Jones, okay? Vernon Jones got exposed by Dr. Mark Lamont Hill on uh, Dr. Mark Lamont Hill's show on the Black News Channel, Okay. Uh, go read this article here has the has the interview. We played it here on the show. Vernon Jones had no clue what critical race theory was. OK, this is Vernon Jones right here. African-American man. He was a, a former state representative of Georgia. He was a Democrat. He switched to the Republican Party because he loves Donald Trump and supports Donald Trump. He's running for governor of Georgia. OK, he's not going to be Stacey Abrams. All right. But he's running for governor of Georgia anyway. He's running as a Republican, a Trump loving black Republican. He said if he becomes governor of Georgia, he's going to sign an executive order that bans critical race theory. 
He was asked numerous times by Dr. Mark Lamont Hill, explain to me what critical race theory is. And Vernon Jones cannot tell you what critical race theory is, yet he wants to ban it because he's appealing to white Republicans in Georgia. Okay, read this article here. In the, in the, the whole video, the whole interview is right there. You can watch it. This fool had no clue what critical race theory was. Now, read this article. Representative Vernon Jones wants to ban critical race theory, can't define what it is. Most of these, most of these Republicans, regardless of race, can't define for you what critical race theory is. Critical race theory is a legal analysis on the premise that race is a social construct that is used to oppress people of color rather than a natural biological feature. They're dealing with racism and systemic racism. Racism being a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race coming out of the ideology of European white supremacy and critical race theory is not taught basically in schools, K through 12. It's taught usually at the graduate level in college, especially in law schools. And it's dealing with how laws are used by white people in power coming out of white supremacy to oppress non-white people. They don't want to have that discussion. Like I said, you letting the, you, you're exposing the magician's tricks. You're pulling back the curtain on the wizard. So they can't, they can't let that rabbit out the bag. They, they have to keep this thing going. So read, read this article here and watch the video. It's, uh, you know, I'm going to play a little bit because it's so funny. It's so funny here. Let me see. Let me, let me, let me, let me play a little bit of this here. I want you to hear how ignorant Vernon Jones sounds. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, let me let's see. Let's go to this here. Hold on. Uh, you ain't going to believe this. Let me let me go to this clip here. Hold on, let's take it off of mute. Just one second. All right. Many schools, Republican controlled states are pushing back against the use of critical race theory in public schools. As a response to the murder of George Floyd and the nationwide protests that sparked, many schools across the nation have adopted diversity and inclusion trainings as well as incorporated anti-racism racism pedagogy as part of the curriculum. But there has been a recent backlash in red states calling to ban critical race theory in schools. The theory is deemed as un-American, vilified as the left's hidden agenda to corrupt the nation and to instill feelings of guilt in white students. Three days ago, Idaho governor signed a bill into law banning the theory in schools. Similar bills have recently passed the Texas and Oklahoma legislatures and are currently sitting on their governor's desks. And Tennessee is expected to pass a similar ban later this week. Kirk Cox, who is running for the governor of Virginia, tweeted on April 26th, it's time to put a stop to the left-wing takeover of public education in Virginia. He then laid out his seven-point plan, which includes prohibit the teaching of critical race theory, eliminate its use as part of teacher evaluations, and restore race-blind, merit-based admission to Virginia's governor schools. And finally, yesterday, the gubernatorial candidate for Georgia, Vernon Jones, tweeted, and I quote, on day one through executive order, I will immediately instruct the Georgia Department of Education to prohibit the teaching of critical race theory within our public schools. It's time for our schools to stop teaching our kids to hate America. The man behind that tweet, Vernon Jones, he is here with me right now 
on Black News tonight to have a wonderful conversation. Brother Jones, so good to see you. Uh, I, I, I want to start off, and we have plenty of time, so I want to make sure we flesh all this out. Uh, I have just a couple of questions just for just clarifying questions so I understand where you stand. You want to completely ban critical race theory in Georgia public schools. Is that accurate? That is accurate because of the contents of it. I think that it clearly needs to be okay. reevaluated. What it is doing is just creating an environment that is hostile towards one race or another. I don't think we should be in that posture. I think there's a way that we can strike a balance where nobody, no child feeling like, hey, because of my race, I'm paying for something I had nothing to do with. So that's all. I just think it needs to be redone, revamped, and amended. Okay. What is critical race theory? <laughs> well, actually, I think it's different depends on who's teaching it and how they're teaching it. I think you can agree with that. Uh, we were taught that Christopher Columbus discovered America. Well, you and I both know that Christopher Columbus got lost. People are already living here. Um, but there are those who are using their own ideology and their own party affiliation to go to the extreme. And that's all I'm trying to address here. But, but what, that, what does that have to do with critical race theory? <laughs> let, let me just let no, me pause for one second. I'm, I'm trying to understand, though. You, you oppose critical race theory, which I understand. I'm just asking, what is it? What is the thing you define it? Like, for example, if I said I'm against creationism, I would say creationism is X, Y, and Z, right? If I said I was against the teaching of sex education, I'd say, well, sex education is X, Y, and Z, and I'd have a basis for it. What is critical race theory? Well, first of all, again, I can tell you, but it's left up to you to understand. I can't make you understand. Fact of it is... Wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. He said, he said I can tell you, but I can't make you understand. It's up to you to understand. You can't define for us what it is, because you don't know. So now you're trying to go around Right. And, 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 and put the onus on Dr. Mark Lamont Hill to understand what critical race theory is because you can't define. it. All right. Let, let, let's get to you. This is what happens. This is what happens. Critical race theory, even on its basis, should not be taught in our schools. Period. Now, if you can't understand. But what is it? If you want to debate. Off, well, to me, what it does to me, my interpretation, as well as many others. No, not what it does. What is it? How do you define it? I'm going to ask you to define critical define, race theory because my audience may not know. Well, Say obviously it again? you don't know, and you haven't. I said obviously you don't know, and you haven't told your audience. But again, how I see it, and how I don't know. Receive. Well, well, then what is it then? Okay, so see, this is how you know you got somebody back into a corner. You want them to explain their own platform and premise. They can't explain to you their platform and premise. They can't define critical race theory for you. Define what it is, okay? You're going around talking about Christopher Columbus and all this. You can't define what it is you want to ban. Then when I ask you to explain your own platform, now you want to put the onus on, now you want to put the onus on Dr. Mark Lamont Hill. This is how you know you got somebody back into a corner who has no clue what they're talking about, okay? It just goes downhill from there. Vernon Jones just showed how ignorant he is. That's what, that's what happened. He just show how ignorant he is, like a lot of these, like like a lot of these other uh, Republicans who can't define critical race theory. They just don't want to have a conversation about racism, because now you're going to deal with white supremacy. Now you're going to deal with unearned benefits. Now you're going to let the now you're going to let you're going now the magician is going to expose his tricks, and he can't. And once once you realize how the magician does that trick again, and once you realize how the magician does the trick. 
they can't keep running the same trick on you anymore. That's that's why they don't want to have this conversation. All right. Okay, so go watch that, uh go watch that video. Oh, it's it's brilliant. That that that's textbook right there. Uh Dr. Mark Lamont Hill just picked him apart, made a fool. Well, he, he was already a fool. He didn't make a fool out of him. He just exposed that Vernon Jones is a fool. Uh, Representative Vernon Jones wants to ban critical race theory. Can't define what it is. Can't, can't define what it is. Okay. All right. So read that. That's from a, a Black News Channel. Uh, uh, com. All right. I want to go back to this article quickly here from, uh, this is from, NBC News. Okay. So Kimberly Crenshaw, one of the founders of critical race theory and a professor of law at UCLA and and Columbia University, sees uh, these laws as a backlash to the racial reckoning last summer when the murder, uh, when uh, George Floyd's murder sparked uncomfortable conversations about diversity, inclusion, and history in many workplaces, schools, and universities. She, she doubts most of her critics have ever read her work. She said, it's like a bad case of telephone. It's a catch-all for everything that people don't want their children, don't want their children to learn, and that's why it's been so successful. People don't know what it is, but now there's a name for that thing that goes creak in the night. Okay, she said they have found their boogeyman. This is what she said in the interview. She said they, they found their boogeyman. They don't have to tell you what it. They don't have to define what it is. They just have to slap a label on it, all right, and then just pass laws against it. They don't have to define what it is. Uh, Jenny White, a mother of five in Luther, Oklahoma, who advocated for the state's new law, describing describes feelings like a pendulum has swung in America since her upbringing in the 1960s. She believes uh, the civil rights movement was necessary to reverse horrifying racism against uh, black people. But the conversation she says she has observed over Zoom in some school districts alarm her. She said, I've seen things that are coming out of schools where I'm supposed to apologize for my whiteness. You're going toward, you know, demonizing a population just like we demonized another population. But I'm not sure who asked her to apologize for her whiteness. Maybe she's feeling guilty. That could very well be it. Maybe she's feeling guilty. You can't devoid critical race theory from the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement wasn't fighting against feelings. It was fighting against white supremacist laws. You, you, you can't divorce the civil rights movement from critical race theory. They were fighting against white supremacist laws. They weren't, they weren't fighting against necessary feelings. They're fighting against the laws, the policies. So I think, look, I think Jenny's feeling, Jenny from the block, I think Jenny's feeling guilty. Teresa Manning a former Trump administration official and now the policy director of the National Association of Scholars, a conservative education and advocacy organization, also opposes discussions of marg marginalization and bias in schools. 
She emphasized that teachers in all the states where similar bills are passed will still be able to talk about historical events like slavery in context and describe the laws as a defensive measure against psychological warfare. What, what slavery was psychological warfare. If you read some of the slave narratives, it, as a defensive measure against psychological warfare from those who hate America, what are you talking about? It's a defense of the country of Western principles. Oh, you mean white supremacy? Western principles, that, that's, that's a cold word for white supremacy. It's a defense of the country of Western principles of individual rights of a defense of the ideas of America. Which ideas are you referring to? Three, three French compromises, 1787. Which, which, which ideas are you referring to? When she, when, she, when, when, um, uh, TT, uh, talks about, um, uh, a defense of the country of Western principles, that's cold word for white supremacy. I just want you to understand. Uh, read, read the rest of this article here. Uh, uh, Sapphira Lloyd, a 16-year-old in uh, Anthony Crawford's class. Anthony Crawford, 31-year-old African-American male teacher. Uh, she's a 16-year-old in Anthony Crawford's class in Oklahoma City. She believes the law in Oklahoma, signed by Governor Kevin Stitt, Republican, is focused on assuaging the discomfort of white students at the expense of African-American students like her. A lot of this has, a lot of this, I'm telling you right now, a lot of this has to do with a lot of white parents don't want their white children to learn about how treacherous some of their white ancestors were. It may be some of their own family members. This, this, that's what, see, this, see, see that, that right there, that, see, when you, when you start really dealing with the maldistribution of wealth, power, and resources, the theft of land, the killing of indigenous people, the killing of African Americans, the enslavement of African Americans, when you really start dealing into this history, and if, if white children find out some of their ancestors own slaves, you, you're going to have a whole lot of discomfort. You're going to have a whole lot of discomfort. Now, it's not designed to make white children feel guilty, but they're going to they start looking at some of their family members, especially some of their family members who have a tendency to say things that are racially insensitive. This is going to start causing them to start putting some of their family members in check, start putting some of their parents in check. Sapphira Lloyd, 16 years old, said, does anyone care about the comfortability of black people? Obviously, they don't care. She and other classmates noted that nobody in Oklahoma thought to legislate to prevent black students from hearing traumatic stories about slavery or racial violence. In her view, the law will make quality history instruction impossible. She said, you cannot talk about American history without speaking about racism. You can't do it. See, a lot of these white people don't want to talk about racism. Racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race. They, they see, they, you have the, the, see, 
they will talk about a level playing field and equality and all that stuff. But a lot of them don't want the level playing field because the playing field is tilted in their direction. So they'll quote Dr. King and talk about the, 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 uh, the you know, you know, we want to be judged by everybody should be judged by the content of their character. They'll quote Dr. King, right? But if you really go and analyze his speech called a council check, which was renamed I Have a Dream, because I Have a Dream is not the original name of the speech. The speech is about dismantling white supremacy and racism. When you actually go and read the 16 minute speech, it's about he's talking about dismantling white supremacy and racism. He's talking about holding America accountable for a promissory note America gave us prior, 100 years prior in 1863. He's talking about the Emancipation Proclamation. And he said, when we take that promissory note to the bank, it's marked insufficient funds. So you have a lot of people who will talk about, you know, they want, we should have equality and all this stuff, but they don't want to address the history and the laws and policies shape the history and they're still in place today. They don't want to change the laws and policies that have maldistributed wealth, power, and resources into the hands of white people because they want to keep that policy in place while talking about equality and the content of somebody's character and all that stuff. This is what critical race theory exposes. They don't want to have that conversation. They don't want the magician to have his tricks exposed. They don't want you to understand how the magician is doing those tricks because once you understand how the magician is doing the tricks, the magician can't trick you anymore. See, critical race theory and all this understanding this history is pulling the curtain back, exposing the wizard. They want to keep perpetuating the illusion. They want to keep perpetuating the tricks. That's what this is about. Uh, let's see here. Now, Oklahoma's new law will go into effect before the next school year. Uh, at Midwell High School, Superintendent Cecilia Robinson Woods heard from teachers like Anthony Crawford, who's African-American, African-American male, who want to know whether the district will support them in teaching race and history as they always have. While the law does not describe specific punishments, she has reassured the teachers that she expects challenging discussion of racism and inequality will continue rather state lawmakers approve of them or not. But see, the most important thing, yeah, you can have challenging discussions about racism, but it ain't really challenging when you deal with the facts. When you deal with the laws and the facts and history, then, I mean, it's nothing to argue. The world is changing, she said. We can't stop it. No law is going to stop that. Okay, read this article. Teachers worry Oklahoma's ban on systemic racism lessons could put jobs at risk. All right. But once again, the 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 
this right here, and see, I interviewed Dr. Hassan Kwame Jeffries. Dr. Hassan Kwame Jeffries is, uh, he's the chair of the advisory committee that put this uh, study together, that put this study together. It's a 52 page study from the Southern Poverty Law Center called Teaching Hard History American Slavery. Dr. Hassan Kwame Jeffries, is a historian. He's an associate professor of history at Ohio State University. He's a nephew of one of my teachers, Dr. Leonard Jeffries. Every school in the country should use this study. Now, this does not mean this is the only uh, teaching tool they should use. I'm not saying that. But this gives a lot of guidance. If, if, if school districts across the country use this, it'll solve a whole lot of these problems. It'll solve a whole lot of these problems. Because a lot of people writing the bills, uh, like um, uh, the, 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 the guy that you heard in the, uh, in the segment uh, here from MSNBC, like this idiot right here, uh, Representative Kevin West, okay, rep uh, Republican from Oklahoma, who, who uh, helped uh, co-author the uh, Oklahoma ban on critical race theory, all this stuff. People like him don't understand history. Okay, read this from Associated Press, April 29th, 2021. See, when you, when you have a study uh, uh, like this from the Southern Poverty Law Center, it shuts down stupidity like these bills. Oklahoma public school teachers would be prohibited from teaching certain concepts of race and racism under a bill given final approval by the state, uh, by the state house on Thursday. And Governor Kevin Stitt signed this in the law. Okay. Governor of Oklahoma. Governor Kevin Stitt also signed in the law uh, a bill that would absolve, uh, absolve drivers of any responsibility if they accidentally run over protesters during a protest because the driver says they fear for their life. If they run over protesters, if they kill protesters, we, we talked about this before, if they kill protesters, uh, uh, Governor Kevin Stitt, the same governor that signed this bill in the law, dealing with critical race theory, he also signed this one in the law, and this got him kicked off the uh, the Tulsa uh, Race Massacre Commission. Okay? News1.com had an article dealing with this. Let me pull this up here. Uh, Tulsa Race Massacre... Uh, commission boots Oklahoma governor for signing racist legislation. Rightfully so. Let me find this one here from News One. Yeah, right here. Go read this article. The response to the state's new anti critical race theory law ahead of Tulsa race massacre centennial. This is exactly how elections have consequences. This is why whoever's governor is so important, regardless of the state. This is why whoever's governor is so important, okay? Because when SB202 came across Stacey Abrams' desk, if Stacey Abrams was governor of Georgia and the state legislature passed the voter restriction bill, SB202, she would have spiked that bill down their throat like Serena Williams. She would have vetoed that bill. But you got... Uh, punk-ass Brian Kemp as governor who stole the election from Stacey Abrams. He signed the bill on the law. 
while, while an African-American uh, state representative, Park Cannon, was outside knocking on the door trying to get in to do her job to witness the signing of the bill and uh, some white state troopers arrested her. Elections have consequences. Tulsa Race Massacre Commission boots Oklahoma governor for signing racist legislation. The response to the state's new anti-critical uh, race law, uh, uh, anti-critical race theory law, came ahead of the Tulsa Race Massacre Centennial. This is now this article is here from May 15, 2021. We talked about it here on the show before. This is uh, uh, Governor uh, Kevin Stitt, uh, who should be voted out of office, ahead of an event marking the 100 year, 100 years since the Tulsa Race Massacre. The group tasked with planning the centennial removed the Oklahoma governor from its committee. The 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre Commission reached a consensus on the matter according to uh, local news. While the commission did not expressly state the reason for his removal, the move comes after Governor Kevin Stitt, Republican, signed Oklahoma's version of Trump's 1776 misinformation in the form of the anti-critical race theory bill. Members of the committee urged the governor, members of the Tulsa Race Massacre Committee, they're organizing the 100th commemoration of the Tulsa Race Massacre. Members of the committee urged dumbass Governor Kevin Stitt not to sign the bill. Faith leaders, educators, and other community members reached out to the governor asking him not to sign the bill. The Black Wall Street Times editorial board was among those demanding that Governor Kevin Stitt Kevin Stitt be removed for his willing participation in, make, in making the anti-critical race theory bill a reality. Despite their differences in opinion, the commission was gracious in his statement. Governor, Governor Kevin Stitt uh, learned nothing about grace and, and gratitude even after his removal from the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre uh, Commission. Governor Stitt, uh, uh, instead of reflecting on the impact of his decision, he doubled down on it. He said it is disappointing uh, to see an organization of such importance spend so much effort to sow division based on falsehoods and political rhetoric two weeks before the centennial and a month before the commission is scheduled to sunset, uh, read a statement from Governor Stitt's office. Now, the bill is HB 1775. Uh, last week, uh, early in, in May, uh, Governor Stitt explained his motivation to sign the controversial bill. Uh, he's, it had to do with feelings, not facts. And yet there is no legitimate public purpose or valid argument to support the passage of laws like Omaha, uh, Oklahoma's HB 1775. Uh, read the rest of this, and then there was, um, you know, we talked about here a couple of days ago. Uh, Oklahoma, and I'm going to pull this up here. Oklahoma, uh, Governor Stitt also signed 
uh, into law a bill that gives drivers immunity for um, driving into uh, protesters and killing them or injuring them. Okay, Governor Kevin's the same governor signed this bill also. Look at this. This is from the Oklahoman uh, uh, newspaper there in Oklahoma. Governor Kevin Stitt signs bill to protect drivers who hit protesters while fleeing from riots. They call them riots. This is April 22nd, 2021. Okay? See, people like him should have never been on the committee. All right? I feel the same way about Governor Kevin Stitt. The same way I feel about politicians who show up to the Dr. King Day uh, celebrations every year all right and then the other 364 days of the year they're working on passing laws to dismantle dr king's legacy okay when, when they show up to the dr king day celebration we should light them up we should embarrass them we should have a list of all the things they've done throughout the year that that are the antithesis of dr king's legacy and put them on front street you you showed up here you wanted to talk to the people we want to talk to you explain this you can't you can't come to the Dr. King Day celebration talking about how great Dr. King was and you are passing legislation that dismantles his legacy and it's the antithesis of what he fought for. Governor Kevin Stitt, Republican, governor of Oklahoma, has signed a controversial bill that would grant civil and criminal immunity to drivers who unintentionally injure or kill protesters while driving away from a riot. So if there are Black Lives Matter protesters protesting because the somebody was killed by a police or something like that, and then you feel threatened and you run into the you run into the crowd and injure some people and kill a couple people because you say you're trying to get away and you feared for your life and all this stuff, and you start having flashbacks to when. African-Americans were lynching white people and making postcards out of it and all this. They used to have a flashback and you thought you were going to be next. Based upon this law, you, you're not going to be charged. Governor Kevin Stitt on Wednesday signed House Bill 1664 from Representative Kevin West, Republican of Moore, Oklahoma, and Senator Rob Stanbridge, Republican of Norman, Oklahoma. Now, if the, if the name... Kevin West sounds familiar. That's the same guy who co-authored the anti-critical uh, race theory bill that Governor Kevin Stitt signed in law also. Huh. Wait a second. Let me get this straight. You against teaching about the history of systemic racism and all this stuff, but you're going to also uh, author a bill that gives immunity to people that run into crowds of protesters or run over protesters or kill protesters from uh, 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 at a protest that you call a riot? You know, because, um, you know, white college students have riots also when they lose NCAA basketball games, too. They, they have riots, too, you know. Uh, where's that article here? 
It's from Associated Press. This one right here. See, this is this is uh, Kevin West. This is the same guy that did the uh, Bill did with critical race theory. Oklahoma House OK's ban on teaching critical race theory. This is uh, Kevin West. Uh, Representative Kevin Rest, Republican from Moore, Oklahoma, state representative. Okay, so now we're now we're beginning to see a pattern, right? Now we're beginning to it's all coming together now. Now we're beginning to see a pattern. This is why people like Kevin West and people like uh, Governor uh, Kevin Stitt have to be voted out of office because elections have consequences. They pass laws that are detrimental to our existence. This is why you have to be able to see these threats coming and stop them. Let's look at this one here from the Oklahoma and then I have to get out of here. The bill is just one of a handful of Republican-backed proposals introduced in the whole Oklahoma legislature this year aimed at cracking down on protests. Why are you trying to crack down on protests? Don't they have a First Amendment right to protest? Why are you trying to crack down on protests? Are you trying to crack down on uh, white domestic terrorists trying to overthrow the government? HB 1674 protects drivers who fear for their safety while fleeing from a riot and also update state law to classify as a misdemeanor the unlawful obstruction of a road or highway. See, what this bill does, you can get a year in prison and a $5,000 fine for blocking a road or highway during like a protest but if somebody runs over the protesters and injures them or kills them, they get immunity. They don't get charged. That's what this bill does. This is this from little Kevin. The two Kevins, KKs, the two Kevins. The, uh, uh, Kevin Stitt signed in the law. Little Kevin, Kevin West, uh, he ran the authors of the bill, one of the sponsors. Quote, I certainly support the right to peacefully protest and assemble. I will not, however, endorse rioters that spill onto the city or state streets blocking traffic and even harming property of vehicle uh, operators who are simply trying to move freely. This law gives clarity to those motorists that they are, in fact, within their right to seek safety. The ACLU of Oklahoma says it is in serious conversations with its partners on next steps to protect Oklahomans' right to free speech. The power of protest belongs with the people, and we will not tolerate these attempts to seek Oklahoma to, to silence Oklahomans, said Nicole McAfee, the group's director of policy and advocacy. Now, when we look at opposition to the measure, Adriana Laws, 
founder of the Collegiate Freedom and Justice Coalition, said the Oklahoma legislature has launched an assault on taxpaying Oklahomans. Laws was, uh, Adriana Laws was one of about 35 demonstrators that marched through Oklahoma State Capitol Wednesday afternoon to protest what they described as anti-protest bills advancing through the GOP-controlled legislature. She said they are targeting groups of protesters who are just wanting to use their freedom of speech, passing bills that will intimidate them in the hopes of keeping people from using their First Amendment rights, passing bills that decriminalize the murder of protesters, which is absolutely insane. Okay, read the, read the rest of this article here from the Oklahoman. Governor Kevin Stitt signs bill to protect drivers who hit protesters while fleeing from riots. All right. Hey, if you'd like to stop the information, you can support the African History Network. We definitely need your support. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App and also through PayPal. PayPal.me forward slash the AHN show. PayPal.me forward slash the AHN show. When you do it through Cash App, be sure to type in all the characters. Dollar sign the AHN show, S-H-O-W. It'll show my picture. It'll say Michael. Show my picture there. Because somebody set up a, uh, I already reported them to uh, Cash App. Somebody set up a fake African History Network Cash App account that, their handle is similar to mine, but it's not me. So I've already reported them. I'm trying to follow up on that. Uh, or through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. We're here six days a week. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, uh, pay some of the bills off. So uh, you, can go, you can still register for the online course that I teach on Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. We deal with thousands of years of history, and we deal with what led up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have uh, book references, articles, uh, guest speakers, video clips. Uh, this past Saturday, our guest speaker was archaeologist. Uh, Nubia Wartford, African-American female archaeologist. She goes to the Sudan to do archaeological digs. We dealt with the African queens of antiquity, the African queens of antiquity and the origins of ancient Kush. She also showed us some pictures of her uh, in uh, the Sudan uh, as well. We do the classes live. All the sessions are recorded. So if you miss anything, you can go back and watch it over and over again. So when you go to our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com and scroll down, you see the information for the uh, for the class. Click right here to register here. It takes you to the next page. Click on enroll class. Um, it was uh, on sale $80. Since we're about halfway through the class, I reduced the price for you. So it's $60. As soon as you register, you can watch the previous classes also. And you'll be ready uh, for our next class Saturday, May 29th, uh, 2021, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. All right. Look, we have to get out of here. Oh, uh, then you, my lecture dinner with the uh, History Black Wall Street is at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com also. Um, 
Black Wall Street from Destruction to the Resurrection of Economic Empowerment. It's a two and a half hour lecture. Uh, I did this back in 2014. I did this in Seattle, Washington. It's a two and a half hour lecture. It's a visual presentation, I'm doing a PowerPoint presentation. And I deal with the history of uh, Black Wall Street. Uh, I deal with the African presence in this country going back tens of thousands of years as well. as a lot of history that I cover in that presentation. So we have this at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We also have it in, uh, we also have bundle packs available. Uh, we have the uh, Black Migration 1619 to 2019 uh, bundle pack also that's uh, at our website, uh, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com as well. Let me uh, put this, we have it on the uh, homepage of the, website let me pull this up here because it's loading slowly here but when you scroll down we have that bundle pack um black migration 1619 to 2019 it's a six dvd bundle pack and it's also in digital download format also okay so we have it here we have the uh 15 dvd uh michael m hotel uh bundle pack okay that includes uh 15 of my lectures and then we also had a Black Migration 1619 to 2019 bundle here as well. So it's a lot. Uh, I have like 40 lectures on DVD, a lot of them on digital download also. Okay. All right. We have to get out of here. Remember, right now it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. Uh, Wakanda forever. And we'll talk to you next time. And I'm wearing uh, my African Liberation Day shirt. This one is from uh, 2012 here in Detroit. Uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday, uh, May 25th was African Liberation Day, and uh, I wore uh, my shirt from 2011. This one here is from uh, 2012, and that was the 40th anniversary of uh, African Liberation Day. And uh, I'm getting one from 2019 also. I talked to uh, Greg McKenzie. Uh, so, and, and Paul Taylor has some shirts uh, in Detroit, so they have them from... Uh, 2019, that's the last time we had a physical, uh, the in-person celebration of African Liberation Day. So probably, I'll probably wear that shirt on Roland Martin Unfiltered on Friday. I'm a panelist on Roland Martin Unfiltered each Friday. So I'm going to try to get that T-shirt with my African Liberation Day T-shirt on Roland Martin Unfiltered. We know African Liberation Day uh, commemorates May 25th, 1963, and the uh, founding of the uh, organization, of Afri uh, organization of African Unity. Okay. Uh, we talked about that on uh, yesterday's show, and you can check out the information. At um, There's some good information. Well, Africa.com has a good article dealing with uh, African Liberation Day. Um, um, it, and then uh, we, so we posted the article from Africa.com dealing with 10 things you should know about Africa, uh, Africa Day. It's called Africa. Originally, it was called African Liberation Day. Now, more recently, it's called Africa Day. But timeanddate.com, timeanddate.com also have an article uh, dealing with um, African Liberation Afri African Liberation Day. Uh, you hear referred to as Africa Day, uh, also previously African Freedom Day. Okay, but uh, on May 25th, 1963, 31 African leaders convened a summit meeting to found uh, the Organization of African Unity, the OAU, they renamed Africa Freedom Day as African Liberation Day and changed its date to May 25th. The founding date of the OAU uh, is also referred to as Africa Day, Africa Day. OK, 
So check this out at um, timeanddate.com. Let me see this. Pull this up here. Timeanddate.com. And they have information here dealing with um, uh, African Liberation Day. When is African Liberation Day? May 25th. And they go through and uh, give you some history of uh, African Liberation Day. Okay. And some some of y'all saw my Facebook post from uh, yesterday. And I said, uh, if you wear green on St. Patrick's Day, Will you wear red, black, and green on African Liberation Day? If not, why not? If you wear green on St. Patrick's Day, will you wear red, black, and green on African Liberation Day? All right, we got to get out of here. Remember, right now it's correct. Wrong behavior is not over till we win. We're kind of forever. Uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that'll satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today. Getting ready for fall or winter? We have the solution for all seasonal clothing needs. Cometicwear.com is the go-to online source for Cometic African fashion and lifestyle products with a contemporary twist. We're committed to offering unique styles reflecting our African heritage. Cometicwear.com is inspired by Cometicscribes.com to influence our people in learning and showing pride. Please visit our website at Cometicwear.com. We all know the cannabis industry is headed toward an uprise in the past decade. What happens when there is a brand that brings this uprise in a blow? The cannabis industry welcomes her uprise. Hustle Her Hemp. Delivering excellence with pride is her watchword, and how you choose to embrace it makes it a priority. From cultivating rich cannabis into exquisite and tastefully finished CBD products to delivery, Hustle Her Hemp leaves no stone unturned. Hustle Her Hemp's mission is to empower women of color by building business and creating legacies, uniting beauty, health, and business. We are a pure definition of how we want the CBD industry to become in the future. While we are redefining innovation, we bring the same energy to improving the quality of life. Hustle Her Hemp is the new Uprise. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting LLC a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365, and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, 
Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting, LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365 and Surface Tablet, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. We all know the cannabis industry is headed toward an uprise in the past decade. What happens when there is a brand that brings this uprise in a blow? The cannabis industry welcomes her uprise. Hustle her hemp. Delivering excellence with pride is her watchword and how you choose to embrace it makes it a priority. From cultivating rich cannabis into exquisite and tastefully finished CBD products to delivery, Hustler Hemp leaves no stone unturned. Hustler Hemp's mission is to empower women of color by building business and creating legacies, uniting beauty, health, and business. We are a pure definition of how we want the CBD industry to become in the future. While we are redefining innovation, we bring the same energy to improving the quality of life. Hustle Her Hemp is the new Uprise. For 25 years, the Black History 101 Mobile Museum has carried on the rich legacy of the Black Museum movement in America by showcasing original artifacts of the Black experience at colleges, universities, K-12 schools, corporations, libraries, conferences, and cultural events, making it the most traversed Black History mobile exhibit in American history. Dr. Khalid El Hakim is the founder of the Black History One-on-One Mobile Museum, and he is a highly sought-after public speaker on topics of black history, social studies, education, museum studies, hip-hop, and race relations. Dr. Khalid was named among the changemakers for NBC Universal's Erase the Hate campaign and listed as one of the 100 men of distinction for black enterprise. He recently founded the Michigan Hip Hop Archive on the campus of Western Michigan University. The Black History One-on-One Mobile Museum is currently scheduling in-person and virtual exhibits nationwide. 
For more information, please contact Dr. Khalid Al-Hakim directly at 313-645-4197, 313-645-4197, or visit their website at blackhistorymobilemuseum.com. That's blackhistorymobilemuseum.com. You can also email him at bhistory101 at yahoo.com, bhistory101 at yahoo.com. With BlackBusinessTea.com, the messages are clear and meaningful. Keep your business in the black and out of the red. Mind your black business, know your numbers, and plan strategically. Black business boss, lead your industry. Support black business, encourage, patronize, and uplift one another. BlackBusinessTea.com currently has products sold in Detroit, Atlanta, Chicago, and Los Angeles with proceeds returned to the black community. They have a wide selection of hoodies, t-shirts, mugs, hats, sweatshirts that support black owned businesses. Visit the website blackbusinesstea.com that's blackbusinesstee.com. Digital Dandelion Technical Solutions works with businesses like yours to create an operations manual for your business which is something many businesses don't have. According to AARP, more than 30% of small business owners are over 50 years old. Many business owners want to retire by selling their businesses or by passing their businesses on to their children. However, according to Forbes Investment Advisors, many retiring owners attempt to sell their businesses for retirement fail. You cannot sell your business without a business manual. Your children also cannot inherit your business because there is no way to run it. Your business does not have to die when you leave. Their business Bible products will give you the tools you need for a thriving business that can make you money even after you retire. Are you looking at increasing your business's annual revenue? Digital Dandelions can help you make at least $100,000 in annual revenue and expand your business. Speak with them today about solidifying your business. Visit DigitalDandelions.com today and get a free 30-minute consultation. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 